in this episode. Find out what happens when IBM and C3.ai get together, the importance of business maturity, and we finally settle the build versus buy debate. and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guests, please, please, please do me a favor, leave a review. It's the number one way to help your peers find the quality shows out there. We hope you think this is a quality show. If you have improvements that you'd like to talk about, go ahead and leave me a review and tell me what you'd like to see changed. And then a big shout out to Nutanix for sponsoring the show. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you really want to talk to. And I'm very lucky today. We're sitting here in the August 28th in the middle of a heat wave, in the middle of a crazy 2020 year. And I have Z Habib with IBM and Uma. Oh, Uma, I'm going to butcher your last name. Sandelva? Sandela? Sandelia. Sandelia. I got it close. With C3 on the microphone. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for having us. If you don't know who IBM is, you don't know who C3 is, then you shouldn't be listening to this show. But one of the things that everybody has in common that's, that's on this show right now is, is AIs, artificial intelligence. And this has been a really interesting year. I've watched my oil and gas industry adopt new techniques and new processes quicker in the last 24 months than I've seen it adopted in the last 24 years. And so, Z, can we talk a little bit about, you know, what is the deal with using things like machine learning and artificial intelligence to actually help drive business decisions? How do you go from data to insights? You know, very good question, Mark. You know, one of the things that we are examining, every client that we deal with has some element of the program from AI to data analytics that they have as part of their IT programs or business intelligence programs that they are leading to. So one of the key things, I think, you know, when, when we start looking at AI and machine learning and Uma, who's my counterpart here, can absolutely explain it even better than I can, is the ability to get that insights, right? The really data insights from the data that they have, but a lot of the time struggle, they, you know, there's a lot of reporting that goes on, but the insight element of that is sometimes lost through different technologies, right? And then the other element is the stacks that they deal with from an AI program perspective, right? They they have a lot of stacks, but no convergence on the stack side from a program aspect of it. And one of the things what we are doing, and you know, as, as we work with C3AI, is looking at a converged stack and bringing those both the analytics and insights together as a cohesive strategy. Omar, you want to add something to the machine learning side of the equation also? Sure, Z. And yeah, great question, Mark. So I think, look, the, the way the way the industry is approaching this, I think people have come to realize that the traditional rule-based approaches, which actually relies on a lot of institutional knowledge, which is very powerful, have limitations. And it's actually because of three reasons. Number one, the amount of data that you have these days has grown by such a significant amount that it starts to have, there are limits to what human beings can do consistently with rule-based systems. Artificial intelligence systems can be trained, both supervised on historical data and sometimes on unsupervised, just looking at live data coming in to make predictions, which with human input can be 
improved over time through a closed loop system. Number two, I think the big driver we're seeing across the industrial oil and gas space, people are realizing this institutional knowledge is walking out the door with normal attrition. People are retiring. It's not codified anywhere. So once you start to you know, put together an AI machine learning framework around this, you basically have codified essentially all of your historical operating knowledge. And then finally, if you look to the future here, intelligence systems that are you know, artificial intelligence enabled are going to be required across just about every single industry sector because that is just the way we are going to be operating in the future in the next 5, 10, 15 years. So it is going to become a requirement, not a nice to have. So that's where we're seeing a lot of the transition in the market. Yep. And I agree 110%. And it's really interesting. You know, one of the other things we're facing as an industry is huge lack of talent, right? Because a lot of it's our own fault as an industry, but nowadays a lot of young people don't want to come work in this industry. And so when you have all of that, what you call institutional knowledge, when you have that walking out the door, being able to capture that drillers that's been drilling for 20 years in the Permian somewhere, the stuff that he knows in his head, it's not written down, is super valuable. But the cool thing is once you actually put it in some type of system, like we're talking about now, now when you bring on young engineers, you can actually do knowledge transfer. And so they get up to speed much, much quicker. And as we're, we're moving forward, you know, we have to run lean and mean. It's not, it's not just here in 2020 because of COVID and the double black swan event. I think the future of our industry, we're going to have to drive super efficiencies, but we have to still do it safely and environmentally responsible. And the cool thing about using AI and machine learning is once you get the model trained, once it gets good at what it does, it's good at it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't get tired. And so I really think, I don't think I know, I know that this sort of technology is part of our future. I do have a couple other things I want to kind of talk about, though. So one of the things we didn't mention is IBM and C3AI formed a partnership. Can we talk a little bit about why this partnership was put together? And then, you know, what's the what's the benefits for your clients? Sure. Azzy, you want to go ahead first? Yeah. You know, as we both from C3 perspective and from IBM perspective, we have a pretty logical view to the relationship. IBM has... IBM AI stacks and C3 has a fully integrated AI suite. So as we were looking through from a value proposition, one of the key things was the ability for us to provide that from a global perspective. IBM's scale and the ability to execute on a global aspect of from a client execution point of view was something that C3 and IBM both agreed was a a win-win for us, right? Second element is, you know, the ability to deliver at a cost competitive perspective and also to bring the data science components together. We, from IBM perspective, have a significant investment in both these areas. And I believe C3 felt strongly about the relationship with Tom Siebel and our leadership from myself, from the oil and gas and energy perspective, and Sus Mantas, who leads of, who's the GM of our software alliance of elements, felt strongly that there was a good synergy between both organizations here. Omar, you can comment from C3 perspective what you guys felt. Absolutely. And, and thanks, Z. I mean, that's, I think you, you covered uh, several key points. So just a couple of things to add to that, Mark. C3 has been investing in this technology stack for the last 10 years with a privately held company with over a billion dollars in investment in this tech stack. And it's an industry agnostic technology stack. So it essentially applies, it's, it's, it's been applied at scale in energy, utilities and oil and gas, industrial manufacturing, financial services, the U.S. government, we serve in a very big way. And, you know, we are about to make some also investments to get into precision healthcare, which we expect will be a very fast growing space. 
when you scale AI-enabled solutions globally across these many industry sectors, one of the things you need, you know, deploying an AI solution, there's a technology piece, there's the a use case identification and value definition piece, but implementing it, getting people to use it, adopt it on the field and actually track and deliver value is a, a non-trivial undertaking. It requires change management, behavioral changes in the way people do business from the old ways. So that requires a significant amount of scale. And, you know, not many companies out there exist that have this kind of scale IBM brings, both in terms of global presence and also the capabilities they have to fulfill in both, you know, technical resources that can be trained to develop on the C3i suite and also drive process changes to be able to drive that behavioral change downstream so that people actually use these solutions. So we saw this as a a highly complementary alliance, you know, so that both parties can benefit from each other's expertise that they bring to the table. And, and, and in turn, the industry can benefit from the joint offering. Yeah. IBM's the big old ship who's reinvented. It seems like y'all reinvent yourself about every 10 or, 10 or 12 <laughs> years. And then, but C3, I remember when y'all were a startup and, and y'all exploded growth. So, you know, you have the, you have big far-reaching IBM, and then you have this, what was a startup not that long ago, a very fast-growing private company. Does that help the relationship to be able to have both sides of that different type of business culture? Yeah, that's a great question. Go ahead, Z, go ahead. Yeah, now I was going to say that that actually is 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 one of those key sweet spot areas that we felt, you know, there was a good synergy there, but also from the industry point of view, right? A lot of the things that we have done over the last 15 years from an industry point of view was to invest in depth of that industry and knowledge, right? And the identification of the use cases and making sure those use cases are solving relevant pain points for the clients from a construct of AI, that's, that was the synergy we were looking for. And from C3 perspective, we felt very strongly that that value proposition from you know what we call our advisory services or our implementation of proof of concept services, when you bring that together in an agile fashion and, and execute you know flawlessly, that's when the clients really have that value, both of IBM and C3 kind of shine through. So yeah, I, I can see it a hundred percent. You know, Uma, you brought something up that that comes up on the show often, and it is you can bring a new process or a new tool to a company that has and the, and the new the new thing that you're bringing has a, a proven benefit, whether that's a an ROI or financial or production numbers or HSD metrics or whatever. But the thing is, it's trying to get the culture to change. It's the change management component. Every large tech rollout that I've seen in the oil and gas industry in my 25 years that failed, every single one of them didn't fail because of the technology. It failed because the organization didn't adopt it, didn't you know, didn't see the value in changing for what they used to do. So, you know, that change management part is critical. That is that one of the things that IBM actually helps C3 with is actually that change management process in these large organizations? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that's a great question, Mark. If you actually decompose the change management problem, actually, there's two underlying drivers for that. There's two sort of key you know, portions of the, the tree here. One is that there's a technology piece that has to be solved, which we have invested a lot of time in, which number one, anything you do with an AI model has to be interpretable. It cannot be a black box. Most times AI models and AI solutions fail because the end user is unable to intuit for themselves how the model came to results. So if you don't have an interpretability framework, that's difficult. An interpretability framework is a core design element of anything we do on the C3i suite, number one. 
Number two, you have to have the ability to implement these systems in the existing framework that exists at an end user, right? Sometimes, you know, people don't want to change everything all at once. So you've got to be able to come in and say, well, you're used to using this application. Let me enable it with AI insight. So the interoperability is another design element, which is very core to the way we've designed the C3i suite. And then third, you go back to the top of the process, what use case you deploy, what problem you solve first really matters. You have to judge the maturity of the customer, the data the quality of data they have, the availability of data, and the maturity of the business that is actually looking to drive an outcome. Those that really have a burning platform to make the change will actually be a driving executive engagement and sponsorship for the project. So those are the sort of you know technology project choices you need to make. Then when you come on the change management people side, I mean, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you need folks on the ground that understand this technology, that have the ability to drive process change at scale. And you know, not many companies, like I said, out there have done it at the scale IBM does it. So because they can also, they, they can drive a long project with value capture and metrics and calculations that will enable the customer to continue to evaluate how they're doing against targets. But then they also can provide the ongoing technical implementation support on the technology stack. Yeah. It's it's interesting you brought up executive sponsor. That's one of the things that I think a lot of companies underestimate. If you're working with one of the big majors or super majors, I feel that if you don't have an executive sponsor who believes in what you're doing, your chances of success gets cut by half. What do you all think about that? I mean, I can go first and tell you, I uh, couldn't agree more. In fact, our uh, founder and CEO, Tom Siebel, who's personally engaged on just about every transaction we undertake, is a strong believer that there has to be executive support. And by the way, this is another interesting thing, Mark. It's not just any executive. It used to be that software was sold via the CIO, okay? These days, if you look at these large-scale AI solutions, it's not the CIO. It's the CEO or you know, they're, they're next in command who's driving the business COO. Of course, now you have another new role, the CDO, the chief digital officer. But that's who, that is that audience. That is our stakeholder group. That is who's driving the mandate to, to essentially enable digital transformation at scale across the enterprise. Yeah, it's interesting. So this show right now, the tech show, when we first started it, a large portion of our listening audience were people that worked in IT. And now it's a lot of operational folks. The majority of the people listening to this show have technology in their mix, right? A lot of them are operational technology people, but we have a lot of just operational business listeners. It's to your point, not that long ago, technology and software was bought by the IT side of the oil and gas companies. Now the business is heavily involved, not only in the decision-making process, but figuring out which vendors to work with and how it affects their day-to-day operations. Yeah, it's really and, fascinating. And, and Mark, I think I think there's a key element. You know, when we when we engage from a industry first message or industry first experience sets, the buyers, both from the services point of view and from a program execution point of view, they want to know that you have done their job, you've been in their shoes, you understand the challenges of the organizational implementation and adoption, and that is a lot easier when it's actually sponsored by somebody who's senior enough in the organization has the uh, stakes into the game for the success of the program and then from a cultural change adoption perspective the communication side uh, i think you know it's it's important to have that linkages of shared experiences right if you have done that from a you know i i came from a capital projects experience set right 
and and having dealt on large capital projects out in the field, it was a lot easier to communicate with people that this particular tool is going to help you change this aspect of your life or make this project safer by providing you insights from a program execution point of view, right? So when you have that kind of experience and that kind of communication that that stakeholders, then they adopt, they believe in in the aspect of what the program is going to do for them and what AI is going to do for them, both from making the job easier. And second element is it's not about it's not about scaling people out. It's about providing better insights into what they're trying to do from a day-in, day-out perspective. Oh, I think that's, that's something that we see across the board, I think, in all of our communications. Yeah, so, yeah. so a couple, couple of things that's really – one of the things I love about both of your companies, y'all have domain expertise. Y'all know oil and gas. You have geologists, geophysicists, oil and gas finance, project managers, all on your staff. So y'all have that domain expertise. I do think it's really interesting you know, to see y'all come together like this and actually help drive change in industry that needs it more than anything – so one of the things that I hear a lot is big companies have a choice. They can they can build whatever solution they need for whatever problem they're, they're making it, or they, they can buy it. What do y'all two think about that difference between building your own solution or buying your own solution? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. And you know, I, I can take that Z first yeah. and then welcome you to chime in. So this build versus buy, Mark, I think there's been a small, I think, problem with the way the industry sees it. People see it as two, you know, exclusive and separate buckets you either build or you buy as a result you know at the very outset there's a bit of a concern about am i going to have to you know get rid of everything i've done to date and therefore replace it with a solution you know that approach never helps the right approach here is you know there are elements of technology that you want to procure because you have companies like ct.ai that I've spent 10 years investing, as I mentioned, uh, almost a billion dollars building a technology stack that works end-to-end, and we've taken on the responsibility to future-proof it and make sure that it actually continues to perform for needs that you may not even know exist today that may materialize five years down the road. So there are, there are, there are elements of the technology stack you want to buy, but then you also want to invest in a technology stack that allows you to have the creativity and the skills and the latitude to build fit-for-purpose solutions, which is something we focused on from day one. So our goal is to not you know, limit the, the, the output of what our customers can do. We, we rely on a process of training our customers. We provide them an ecosystem of partners, the likes of IBM, who they can rely on to help them and complement their resource skills, resource pools, to be able to build solutions and deploy them at scale that specifically address their business use case. So you are building. It's not that you're not building, but what you've done is you've bought the foundational technology stack, which you really don't want to build. You, you could if you want, but most customers we work with end up you know, having two, three-year experiments. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars and realize that is not what we should be doing. We, we understand our business. We have capabilities to build solutions that are fit for purpose for our business. We need the tools. We need the technology stack that can help us do that. So that's how we approached it. So it's not build versus buy. It is a smart choice between what pieces to buy that allow you to build to meet your specific business needs. Over to you, Z. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Omar, in terms of the way you've addressed this. I think there's an element also from our organizational aspect of the size of the organization, whether you have the right skills 
to augment that. You know, when you look at the AI solutions, there's a lot of significant data science capabilities and maturity that's required in the organization. And if you don't, if you are a mid-sized to a small size organization, you may not have all of those components. So from a build versus buy, that that allows you to focus those resources much more on a buy side of the equation, right? So it it, it kind of depends to me where you are operating from a from a maturity point of view. What are your you know capability matrix and how is the best approach for your organization on build versus buy? There's a there's a little bit of bifurcation that kind of happens in these clients. Yeah, I love the fact that both your companies are comfortable on either side of that, right? So both your companies can help large companies buy what they need and build what they need, and you could also help smaller companies do the same thing because you have that much domain expertise around both the oil and gas industry and also things like machine learning or artificial intelligence. Yeah, that I mean that that is critical. You know, when I when I I have a global portfolio, Mark, I, I look at my clients all the way from, you know, national oil companies to integrated oils to what I call super independents. And and for each one of them, the answer may be slightly different, but it's really what, you know, between C3 and, and IBM coming together, we try to find that the right balance for that organization from a cultural adoption perspective and their maturity perspective, right? If we can find that sweet spot with the client, both in our communications and our solutions, we find the adoption is always successful. Omar, what That's talks? a great you brought that up. Yeah, no, I just want to add one thing from, uh, I think, Mark, you, you correctly pointed out, you know, what we have been able to do on, on, at C3.ai is, you know, we've seeded the market. We, we go to market with a platform as a service, as a core offering, which are the tools that enable people to build solutions that they need to build. However, value is created by actual end-use applications that that actually do something in the field. We've seeded the market with a comprehensive suite of enterprise SaaS applications. And in oil and gas, we also work very close with our partner, Baker Hughes, who actually brings in the domain expertise to build these applications. What that allows us to do, as Z mentioned, when you go to a large NOC, they have the wherewithal to actually have a data science team have an application development team that can actually you know, procure a platform license from C3.ai and actually use that to build solutions that they, that they would like to deploy on, on the field. But then you get smaller companies who don't have that wherewithal, but also still want to up- deploy AI-enabled solutions. They can simply license one or more enterprise SaaS applications off the shelf that we have already built and deployed at scale and then drive value. So, so we're able to address both ends of the spectrum there in terms of the needs of the industry. Yeah, I love it. I tell you one of the things, because y'all do this for a living, what's some of the challenges? So if, if a listener is listening to this right now and going, you know what, my company needs to do this, my company needs to explore this. What's some of the gotchas? What's some of the challenges that y'all seen in the actual digital, tra- the company's trying to go through this digital transformation process? process? I think, Mark, you addressed it up front, cultural adoption sponsorship are key challenges. If it's properly sponsored and properly targeted, then you're able to address that from a challenging perspective. Second element is, you know, the core competency or the competency of the team members inside the IT organization. And it depends on the size and the maturity of the organization. Some, uh, like Kuma, just to give examples of few, have very deep bench of skills and, and have the ability to train them. Others, have a you know lights on approach so in, in in which case they actually need that 
extra assistance, both from services part of view. So the one of the adoption of those approaches that we have done is we have, you know, from IBM perspective, we bring in digital garage, which is basically really to bring that scale down to do a quick proof of concept, make sure it addresses that specific issue, and then rapidly adopt that through the process, identify the problem, solve that problem, roll it out into the organization, and then move to the next problem to solve it. And using that from a digital garage perspective is how we try to scale that up. Quick, fast, adoptive thinking, more agile approach to the to the problem solving is something that we felt are critical. Yeah, let me just add to that a little bit, Mark. I think as Z mentioned, I think his digital garage is a great, great reference point. One of the key areas that people need to focus on is that AI enabled digital transformation is a daunting task and it's a multi-year journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And people often get tied up where, you know, they try to bite off more than they can chew and start 10 projects at once. It's a bad idea. You want to start with a few key, high-profile, high-visibility, mature projects that you know can point to value immediately. And the key thing is you got to be able to fail fast, right? You, you don't want to spend a year doing something only to realize it didn't work. So you want to be able to get results quickly. So one of the things we enable is the ability to, you know, do production-ready systems on historical data sets in 12 to 16 weeks or less, which is a very short amount of time. So then you know, is it working or not? And then once you know it's working, you can put that in production fairly quickly for for a net of, you know, from start to finish six months into production. So that is absolutely critical. You know, you got to be able to get results quickly so you can you can fail fast and then move on to the right projects. I love that strategy, right? Because what you're really doing is showing the business the value um, as quickly as possible. Yes. Um, la- last question, then we time to start winding things down. So I love this alliance between IBM and, and C3AI. Where do you all see this going in the next couple of years? Yeah, so from my perspective, I'm the sponsor for from the oil and gas perspective, right? So we are looking forward to working with c 3 on multiple client problems and solving more of the complex problems. You know, as we, we, we actually started UMA, this was, we officially kicked this off in February, Mark, is when we announced. And already from an organizational perspective and the ability to work together, we have already found culturally that it's very, very quick. We have a quick adoption to work with C3 team members. And as, as we ta- tackle the clients, you know, the clients see that combined C3 IBM team trying to solve their problems. It's scaling up globally. We initially started with a very focused approach on, on certain set of clients. And as we both get to learn our you know, combined styles of execution, we're scaling it out to our global clients as we speak. In fact, we're now in at least three of the four of our largest geographies where we're kind of engaged together to work with the clients. Yeah, and a couple of things to add to that. You know, as Z pointed out, it's it's August now. We're six months into this journey. I think this is a a, a dec- multi-decade-long journey that we look forward to with our partner IBM. And and the, what's interesting about you look look at the future, Mark. We have both companies essentially are not constrained on what industries they serve and what problems they would like to solve. I mean, C3 has built a technology stack that has been proven across multiple industries and every new industry opportunity we see where there's a problem to be solved, we're happy to go there. 
with IBM and find a way to solve the problems. So there are really not any constraints. And with the global reach of IBM and the resource pool they have, there is not much of a constraint in terms of our ability to get out there and deliver. What we will, what we will be doing together is also ensuring that the market is aware of this offering and the capability so that they are able to take advantage of it. I mean, you know, there's a there's a wide range of maturity across customers when it comes to their digital transformation vision. Our job is to get everybody up to that level where they can actually benefit from these projects. So I personally think, you know, it's going to be an exciting 5, 10, 15 years ahead as AI and uh, large-scale digital transformation becomes pretty much par for the course in just about any any company globally. Yeah, I'm excited for both y'all. I mean, if I did wasn't doing this podcast thing, I think I'd go put an application in <laughs> because I mean, you, you literally you're literally looking at writing helping write the future, right? There to your point, no constraints, no problems with this coolest set of tools in the world with two companies that have domain expertise and reach. I, I just I love this. I'm excited for you. I'm looking forward to see where this partnership goes. And we're getting to the point where we need to wind down the show, right? I'm getting all pumped up. This is the part of the show where we do product reviews. If you have a tech product you want me to review, send it in. You know the deal. I'll tell you the truth. If it's great, I'll say it's great. If it's not so great, I'll say that too. Just nothing big and heavy, people. This is gadgety stuff. And the product I'm reviewing today was uh, uh, sent to me by a company called LoomCube. It's the coolest thing in the world. It's a battery-powered light with a suction cup that sits on top of your monitor on the back of your laptop. So when you're on a Zoom call, you get lit well. The cool thing about it, it has a adjustable brightness and adjustable color temperature. So if you don't like the way your skin color looks, you can change the color of light till you look normal. It's very professional light. It's very soft. It's like I said, it's rechargeable. It runs off a USB-C connection. This thing was $70 well worth it. If you're one of those people that are doing Zoom calls or other type of web-based calls, this makes you look so much better. So people check it out. There's a link in the show notes. Z, if people want to learn more about IBM, where should they go? Well, uh, go to our website at IBM.com. Start there and drill down to the appropriate industry and you'll find content there. Perfect. And if people wanted to learn more about you personally, where should they go? LinkedIn would be the best place to go. Awesome. And Uma, where should people go if they want to learn more about C3.ai? Actually, that's your website, isn't it? That is our website. It's very simple, ct.ai. And we have uh, invested quite a bit of time to have a lot of information make, made available to the website, including customer testimonials from all of our customers, recordings, demos. So uh, yeah, ct.ai. And please look through the website to get as much information as possible. And if you need more, there are ways you can request to be contacted for a follow-on executive session as well. And if people want to learn more about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? Yeah, please look up my LinkedIn profile, yes. Yeah, so folks, we'll put links to both of their companies and both their LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. One more quick thing, Street Team, we've just handed that over to Warren. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Facebook, look for Oil and Gas Global Network Street Team. It's our global all-volunteer group, and I now have somebody in charge of that. And then finally, another big shout-out to Nutanix, sponsors show they enable IT teams to build and operate highly automated private and hybrid clouds, plus they're giving away this really cool JBL flip floor Bluetooth speaker. So Z and Uma, y'all both can go register for this because y'all don't work for me. It's a really cool Bluetooth speaker. You simply go to the show notes, click on the link to register. We'll give away one a week. If you want to try to remember it, it's Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website, allguestechpodcast.com. Give us your email address and go join our LinkedIn page. Uma and Z, this has been incredible. I could literally spend another hour talking to y'all, but I really appreciate y'all sharing some time with our audience and coming on the show. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark, for having us.
Yeah, this has been great. So folks, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the Oilcom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.